It's February 8th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. Grab your maps because we are going around the globe this morning with three stops in the U.S. and three stops abroad for the latest news that's shaping America and the world. We start in Arizona, where South American crime tourists are hitting Scottsdale very hard this morning. Second, we traveled to San Diego, where researchers are offering a series of warnings for folks who use marijuana. Third, we head to D.C., where Biden officials are admitting this morning that their war on natural gas might be about the 2024 election. Fourth, we land in the heart of Africa talking about a railroad project this morning in the country of Angola that is paid for by you and how it just got a new Chinese competitor. Fifth, we joined the CIA in traveling to Fiji this morning. We're going to talk about why we are all there. Finally, we wrap up in Italy where the AI revolution just helped solve a 2,000-year-old mystery from the city of Pompeii. And then, before I let you go, three listener questions today about George Soros, the Houthis, and Chinese spy cars. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. We begin in Metro Phoenix, Arizona, where police departments in the region confirmed just days ago that South American crime tourists are hitting that area hard. As folks know, we started discussing this crime syndicate back on December 14th, exploring who these people are and why so many are coming from countries like Chile and Colombia. Regardless, we do know this. They are striking wealthy neighborhoods all throughout this country, stealing stuff from U.S. homes and then flying back to South America with your jewelry or cash. To the long victims of this, uh, these crime syndicates, we can now add folks in Arizona, namely in the cities of Paradise Valley, Peoria, Phoenix, Gilbert, and Scottsdale. That latter city, Scottsdale, has been hit especially hard. Two more homes were robbed late last Friday. Metro Police Departments confirm that these criminals are using the exact same approaches that we have seen elsewhere, targeting either empty homes or the criminals will pretend to be yard workers or housekeepers in order to case the home. Also of note, folks, these criminals might be back in the San Diego area as well. That place was targeted back in 2021, again in 2022, a little bit last year before there was a short pause. But as of this morning, it appears as though they are back. And if confirmed, they will join their bandit friends in other states that are also getting hit hard. Those include Texas, New York, Michigan, Connecticut, Virginia, Delaware, Indiana, Ohio, Oklahoma, good Lord, the whole map is the point. One final piece of counsel, ladies and gentlemen, these crime rings are looking for newer targets where local or county law enforcement officials aren't as experienced or knowledgeable about how these thugs operate. So the point is that even if your community is not in a state that I just listed, you have to assume that this South American crime syndicate is already in your community or is on the way. And that is why I continue to echo the advice that I gave you back in December. Please do take care to not leave your home unattended, certainly overnight. Perhaps if you have to, bring in some house sitters and work with your neighborhood to form those watch groups. But most importantly, let's keep our heads on a swivel because it appears as though this is our new America. Next, we are off to San Diego this morning where researchers are looking into the ballooning industry that is marijuana. Specifically, researchers at the UCSD explored this next argument made usually by folks who support the industry. 
Marijuana, they say, is not as bad as, say, alcohol, and that includes how it impacts our ability to drive. And that's really important for us to both discuss and debate, as about 24 states in this country allow recreational use of weed, with many others also allowing it for medicinal use. Researchers at UCSD asked marijuana users to either puff or nibble on their favorite weed product, and then they asked them at what point they felt fine to drive. They then measured these folks' reflexes and such when they said that they were ready to go. Well, here's the upshot. Users of weed believed that they were fine to drive after about 90 minutes after they finished smoking their joint. But they were wrong. Data showed that they were just as impaired as they were at 30 minutes after finishing that joint. Well, these marijuana users were very shocked by that and also by this. It took about four and a half hours before they were truly back to normal, although some took upwards of eight hours. Also shocking is this. People who consumed edible marijuana products, they took upwards of 12 hours to fully recover. So to help us understand why this is, here's the issue. Not all marijuana products are the same. Some have vastly more THC than others, and that THC affects people very differently. And that is resulting in two new sets of problems. First, drivers that are high but think that they're totally fine, they are getting into uh, more automobile crashes, with some evidence that crashes involving these weed users are more deadly than drunk drivers. Second, there's no reliable, accurate field sobriety test uh, for weed that, say, a cop can use when they pull somebody over. This test or a related device is apparently many years away from being developed. So, folks, do keep this in mind if you're a user you are far more likely to be impaired than you ever realize. And for those of us who don't use marijuana, well, buckle up, make sure you have an airbag, because our friends who puff are making the roads out there a little rough. Next, we're heading to Washington, D.C. this morning for an update on what appears to be a presidential fib, all to help Joe Biden get reelected. But before we get into the details, let's do a quick refresh. Back on January 30th, I briefed you on how the Biden White House announced that it was pausing all pending building permits for something called liquefied natural gas facilities, or LNG. And what that meant was about 17 LNG projects that were in the permitting process, uh, mostly in Texas and Louisiana, they were put on hold. The White House celebrated that decision, telling Americans that it was great for the climate. But amongst those who were, say, less than pleased, a little cranky, involved nations in Europe. And here's the reason. About 40% of their LNG comes from the United States, and that is a critical supply to help them replace the stuff that comes from Russia. In fact, since I briefed you last, Germany's main gas trader sounded the alarm about Biden's decision and how it could impact both the continent's security and their economy. So that European anxiety takes us to the news. On Monday, the U.S. State Department's Assistant Secretary for Energy, a fellow named Jeffrey Pratt, told reporters that he's been working the phones with his friends in Europe to calm down their jitters. He is emphasizing to those folks that this is just a stoppage of permits and it's just a pause and only for right now. He's making sure that customers in Europe and Asia, by the way, know that American natural gas will continue to flow for a long time to come. Plus, he said that Again, the stoppage of these permits is just a pause, and it may be unpaused at some point. As he said, quote, we will see, end quote. All right, well, what are we to make of that pause and quick unpause, perhaps? Well, let me pivot briefly away from facts and data to talk about my analysis and opinion. So, 
I think what we can fairly say is that there might be some presidential politics going on. So here's the context. As most of us know, Mr. Biden needs his, uh, shall we say, green voters to, of course, vote for him next November. So he offered them this pause, which, of course, could be unpaused. Uh, perhaps it'll be unpaused just after November sometime, give or take. And if so, that would not be unprecedented. In fact, one of the more infamous public examples of a White House doing this in the past was back in 2012. That is when then-President Barack Obama was caught on a hot mic telling a senior Russian official that, quote, this is my last election. After my election, I have more flexibility, end quote. He was speaking at the time about a controversial missile defense system in Europe, to which the Russian official, by the way, said in response, quote, I understand I will transmit this information to Vladimir, end quote. Of course, he's referring to Putin. So let's see if uh, past his prologue and if Mr. Biden is pulling a, an Obama on uh, the LNG industry and his green voters. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com and you're enjoying those daily transcripts, thank you. It is you and your financial support that are keeping this podcast alive. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, I thank you as well. And I encourage you to do your part this morning and support the companies that support me. You will hear about them shortly. We'll be right back. Well, I have something very special to tell you about. It's about an old colleague of mine and a product that celebrates his life. His name was Glenn Doherty. He died in Libya back in 2012, protecting U.S. personnel in the city of Benghazi. His call sign was Bub. Ten years later, his friends are carrying on his memory and his mission for good health by launching BubsNaturals.com. Their cornerstone product is something called collagen peptides. And if you've never taken this daily supplement, boy, you need to. Bub's collagen helps with muscle recovery and joint health, which is why I take it, because I have beaten my body up doing spy stuff and just being a big old dummy. Yet it is also a product that's wonderful for other things too, like hair, skin, nails, plus your gut. And I'll tell you, I have used collagen from other companies, but no longer. That other stuff is absolute garbage. Bub's collagen is top shelf. For what it's worth, I also use Bub's Naturals for their hydration packs because they are loaded with electrolytes that I use in the morning and the afternoon to start my day and keep me going strong. Because that, my friends, is what Glenn was all about, keeping his body fit to fight like a lion. So, my friends, go to bubsnaturals.com. And when you buy from Bubs, make sure that you use promo code RIGHT, that's W-R-I-G-H-T, and get 20% off your first order. So do it for yourselves and for the memory of a fighting American. Go to bubsnaturals.com, and I tell you, your joints and your skin will be so happy you did. If you haven't gone to jacemedical.com, boy, it is time. In this unpredictable era in which we live, folks, Jace Medical provides life-saving prescription medications, including antibiotics, plus medicines for things like blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes. And here's why that is so very important. You can put these medications either on your shelves for daily use or in cases of emergencies. And Jace Medical makes it so easy to do. Here's how. Go to jacemedical.com. Again, that is J-A-S-E medical.com. You fill out a very simple online form, and in no time flat, you will get those medications delivered right to your door. In a few cases, you have a quick phone call with one of their board-certified physicians to make sure you're getting exactly what you need. 
But regardless, it is a major time saver and a lifesaver if maybe you live in the back 40 or if our supply chains from places like China and India were to get interrupted again in this very unsettled world of ours. But no matter your motivation, go to jacemedical.com. Again, that is J-A-S-E medical.com and enter promo code right at checkout and you will get a great discount on your order. Again, folks, that is promo code right W-R-I-G-H-T at jacemedical.com. And do this today because there is no telling what tomorrow might bring. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our news this morning with a pivot towards international developments. And for this one, folks, grab your maps, whether that be on your phones, computers, or in your minds, and come with me to Central and Southern Africa. Looking at our maps, you will see Angola to the west, Tanzania to the far east, and Zambia and the Congo squished in the middle. Now, between these four countries, boy, they've got some incredible riches. Tanzania, for example, has got major gold deposits. If you see the Lake Victoria region, that's where the gold's at. They've also got a precious gem that is known as Tanzanite. In Zambia, they've got rich veins of copper. In fact, on Monday, a Western company announced the biggest copper find in that nation in over a century. To the north of Zambia is the Congo. And as listeners know, the Congo is blessed with copper, cobalt, tin, diamonds, and the good stuff, the gold. Finally, there's Angola, which has some of the most abundant oil and natural gas fields in the world. But as we look at our maps, you will notice that the Congo and Zambia are landlocked. And while their neighbors in Tanzania and Angola do have port access to the Indian and Atlantic Oceans, there has long been a hurdle, a lack of infrastructure to move those Zambian or Congolese riches to the market. For decades, outsiders have tried to fix this. In more recent times, for example, the U.S. government agreed to invest $250 million of your taxpayer dollars to rehab a rail line that goes from Angola to the Congo and Zambia. For what it's worth, that is called the Lobito Corridor Project. And once complete, that new rail line will pull more Congolese or Zambian minerals towards the Atlantic Ocean and eventually to the West. Well, that was not lost on one country. They would prefer that we don't get that stuff or how we control those minerals get to the marketplace. And that takes us to the news. Yesterday, the Chinese government provided a new $1 billion plan to the governments of Zambia and Tanzania to rebuild a very old rail line that is called the Tazara. So if we look at our maps, this rail line runs from the port city of Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, skirts just south of a national park through a city then of Mbeya into Zambia. You'll see towns on your maps that are called Kasama, Mpika, and Kapiri Mposhi. And that is the heart of the copper belt that has all those mineral riches. And that is what China wants. For what it's worth, this old rail line that goes to Tanzania was built over 50 years ago by the Chinese, actually, but it fell into disrepair. But now, with, with those Americans building and rehabbing that western rail line that goes into Angola and taking stuff to the west, China is getting anxious, and they're plunking down $1 billion to make sure that their old rail line can pull those rich minerals back towards the east, towards Tanzania, the Indian Ocean, and eventually back to China. For what it's worth, the construction on this Tanzanian line should begin at some point this year. Next up, we leave Africa for the Pacific Ocean, where we've got uh, an update about our friends in Fiji regarding our battle for the Pacific. When we last talked about this country, it was on November 28th. And if you recall, it was some disappointing news. 
The prime minister of that country, Mr. Rabuka, who goes by the nickname of Rambo, he had long been on America's side in that battle for the Pacific. He preferred us over China. But then this fall, he got a bit weak-kneed. As you may recall, he announced in November that critical updates to his country's ports and a shipyard would not be done with us or say an Australian partner, but rather with China. And that was a shocker. I raised a few possibilities about what could possibly be going on. The first thing that I said was that perhaps Beijing had some blackmail material on this Mr. Rambo. Second, it could have been that he was angling for a better deal with the U.S. and Australia on those shipyard repairs. Or third, maybe he was in some sort of secret agreement with the CIA to do something naughty against the Chinese. Well, that takes us to the news. The deputy director of the CIA made a trip to Fiji. Mr. David Cohen stopped by the capital of Suva to discuss, quote, areas of mutual interest and further cooperation, end quote. Well, that's vague. Local press agreed with that assessment. They asked the Fijian government and U.S. embassy officials for further details, please, but none were provided, at least not initially. Then social media in Fiji was awash with speculation, and that prompted the government to say that the talks were about um, drugs and how to stop them. Well, as that mystery continues to develop this morning, one other interesting piece of news out of Fiji that might just be related. Mr. Rambo's government is under pressure this morning following the leaked photographs of two cabinet members who were engaged in some naughty behavior. Last month, photos of the two popped up on social media involving acts of intimacy, forcing Mr. Rabuka to dismiss the married gentleman who was involved, plus uh, place the lady who was involved under a separate investigation. For this conservative country of one million people, they are quite scandalized by this development and it's proving to be quite a political headache for Mr. Rambo. So those are the quick facts and data about our friends in Fiji this morning and a set of scandals. Let me pivot now to my brief analysis and opinion. There's an old African proverb and it goes something like this. When elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. In this case, it means that when China and America fight, you better watch out if you're a little country, because if you don't pick a side and stick with them, you're going to get stomped on like a piece of grass. That is the only way you survive is you pick a side and you stick with your team. And that appears to possibly be the case with Mr. Rambo, something that he forgot. And perhaps that is why the deputy CIA director stopped by for a quick visit and just a few days or weeks after his government has a new sex scandal involving apparently some hacked photos. Now, I'm not saying those things are connected, but I do know this, Fiji is, in terms of physical proximity, very close to Australia, American Samoa, and other islands that are very critical for our battle for the Pacific. And I also know that Mr. Rambo was offering the Chinese access to his shipyard and ports. So you would probably be fair to assess that Mr. Rambo was flirting with two big elephants, and he should have known that he invited them to stomp on his grass. So let's see how this plays out. I will be watching for how many more times America's spies drop by for a quick hello. More to come. Finally this morning, we head to Italy, where the past is coming alive because of the AI revolution. And we start with some history. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the city of Pompeii was buried under the ash of an erupting Mount Vesuvius. Thousands died instantly. The city was lost to time until the year 1748. That is when explorers rediscovered the city and the people entombed just below the surface. Amongst the discoveries in that city, 
was a set of papyrus scrolls. They were believed to have contained literary or philosophical works, probably from the first or second centuries. They were found inside of a villa that was owned by the father-in-law of Julius Caesar. But reading these scrolls was absolutely impossible. They were lumps of brittle carbon fused together by the heat and the gases of the eruption. And if you tried to peel them back or cut them open, they, they broke or dissolved before your eyes. And so they have sat in very careful storage for over 200 years. In the year 2015, though, a researcher from the University of Kentucky came up with a pretty elegant partial solution. It involved x-rays and later CT scans. And those allowed for the layers of the scrolls to be virtually peeled back, but without actually opening them. But reading the scrolls was very difficult to impossible. The technology from 10 years ago or so could tease apart the pages, but not actually read them. Well, then last year, a group launched a $1 million prize to anybody who could design a computer software program or some sort of new technology that might help read exactly what was on these x-rays or CT scans. And that led to an initial discovery of 10 little letters. It was the word purple. But there was so much more to read with a belief that a more advanced AI system might be able to pick up some of these very tiny subtleties in the crusty paper that would allow for more of the scrolls to be read. And that background takes us to the news. A team of student researchers has cracked the code. They developed an AI system that was able to pick up hundreds of words in one scroll that were across 15 columns of text. That is about 5% of the scroll. All right, so what's on the scroll? Well, it was the musings of a philosopher who was asking and answering two very interesting questions. First, he asked, how do people live a good life? And second, how do we avoid pain? The words that were discovered, well, according to the philosopher, he guided us, he encouraged us to enjoy our senses, to use our eyes and ears, to use touch and taste. And with those senses, we could then seek out joy and pleasure. Researchers were thrilled with this discovery, hoping that some of the remaining scrolls might have other ancient words and works, especially relayed by men like Aristotle or some lost poetry from the Greek author Homer. So that is the next challenge. There is another set of prizes for anybody who can translate 85% or more of some of the very, very challenging uh, scrolls that remain. The deadline to do this is later this year. One final thing to tell you about, to translate these remaining scrolls, it is going to take at least $10 million, if not more. And that prompted the world's richest man, Elon Musk, to say that he would help pay for it. He announced that yesterday. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Folks, back on January 9th, we talked about the big fight with Russia and how that could badly affect the U.S. dollar and you. Well, if you're looking for ways to diversify your investments, boy, consider physical gold and silver and consider American Hartford Gold as you do. They are the precious metal dealer that I use and trust. And when you give them a call, they will explain how to protect not only your savings accounts, but also your retirement accounts, all by purchasing gold and silver. Plus, they will explain their buyback commitment, which is rock solid. And here's some more good news. Feel very comfortable using American Heart for Gold as they have a five-star rating from thousands of reviews, plus an A-plus ranking from the Better Business Bureau. So here's how you do it. 
either give them a call at 866-353-2694. Again, that is 866-353-2694. Or you can just text them. Text right to 65532. And gosh, that's easy. Again, 65532. And just text them my last name. And when you do, listen to this. They will give you up to $5,000 of free silver on your very first order, depending on your total purchase. So again, either give them a call at 866-353-2694 or text my last name right to 65532. And as you do, my friends, make sure that you remember that January brief about the currency wars. Because that is why we want to consider physical gold, my friends, and silver with American Hartford Gold. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It's a set of listener questions today sent to us from my paid subscribers. It's rightreport.substack.com. First up is Angela from Clovis, New Mexico. Brian, you've talked about George Soros and those Soros DAs in places like uh, New York City. But what do we know about these people? Exactly where are they at in this country? And how do I know if I live under one of these Soros DAs? Whoo, Angela, this is a very important question because at the top of today's episode, we discussed crime by foreign nationals that are happening all around this country. So we should probably ask, what happens when they get caught? Are they arrested, prosecuted, sent to jail? Or is one of these DAs going to release them under some sort of umbrella of social justice or racial justice reform? That's important because that means either you have a very safe city or one that is filled with crime and mayhem. So... I've got good news. There is a brilliant new report on Soros DAs. It names exactly who these people are, where they are, and how much money that they have received, whether that be from Mr. Soros, his family directly, or their foundations and assorted nonprofit organizations. So Angela, good news for you. In the transcripts today, the link for this report is there. And I do hope you read this because Once you do and you understand where these uh, Soros DAs are at, you can then organize locally to either support these guys or remove them, whatever your values might be. Because again, these folks, they are the ones who police your community at the end of the day to the good and the bad. So Angela and everybody else, good luck and keep me posted. Next up is Shane near St. Joseph, Missouri. Brian, I read that the Houthis are going full James Bond. They're going to sabotage some undersea cables and interrupt the global internet. Any truth to this? Shane, good question. So here's the deal. Back in December, the Houthis posted a map of uh, major internet cables that ran along the ocean floor, specifically the ones right near them uh, in the Red Sea or the Gulf of Aden. And there are some very important cables near the Houthis. Basically, they connect the whole of Asia to the whole of Europe. And so the threat that the Houthis were making was that they would cut these cables and, well, at the end of the day, upend part of our modern economy. About 17% of global internet traffic goes through those cables, and that would be bad. So the question is whether or not the Houthis can do this. And the answer is probably not. I hope not. So here's what I'm talking about. Those internet cables are very deep on the ocean floor. And yes, it is possible that a very accomplished dive team could go down and cut them, but more likely is a Navy. And they would use an underwater vessel that has a, well, it kind of looks like a big pair of scissors that would go down and cut the cables. Now, thankfully, the Houthis don't have that kind of vessel. But does Iran or could the Iranians get that kind of a underwater vessel? 
Yes, they could. But that would probably anger China. Certainly if the Iranians and the Houthis cut those cables going from Asia and interrupted internet service to Europe. So here's my view. I think it's very fair to highlight that this is an impossible issue of, or concern. I would just say that it is less likely than what they're currently doing, which is very successfully firing missiles and drones. Which, by the way, check out the link in today's transcript about uh, some very good new intel that we have about the, the drones and the missiles that the Houthis are using and firing coming from Iran. Some pretty impressive stuff, unfortunately. Finally this morning, Pamela from somewhere in the south of the United States, she said. Brian, I read that China is building their cars to basically be spies on wheels. So what do you think about that? Pamela then sent me some news from about a week ago uh, where the U.S. Secretary of Commerce warned people that China's vehicles, especially their electric vehicles, are collecting data and sending that stuff back to Beijing. As the secretary said, quote, Chinese vehicles are collecting a huge amount of information about the driver, the location of the vehicle, the surroundings of the vehicle. Do we want all that data going to Beijing? End quote. All right, Pamela, let's talk. Back on September 7th, I briefed you on how all cars from everywhere, including manufacturers in this country, are all spying on you. The software, the microphones in your American-made car, they are collecting everything that you say or do inside of that vehicle and then reselling that data and all those conversations to advertisers and probably the U.S. government, including the FBI. Now, if you remember, Nissan was the worst performing of all the vehicles that we talked about, but everybody was really awful. Meanwhile, let's talk about these electric vehicles. So I briefed you on how Tesla can remotely upgrade or downgrade their software to make their cars either perform better or worse. Third, I also briefed you all the way back last April when we first started this podcast about how Ford applied for a patent that can basically prompt your car to start up, leave your home, and return to the dealership for whatever reason. So here's the point. Pamela, are we surprised that the Chinese would use their vehicles to spy on us? No, not at all. Because American companies are doing the same thing. So that's why, for me, this issue isn't especially about China. Right? Don't get me wrong. It would be very bad if you had a Chinese car and we got into a war with Beijing and they flipped a switch and your car didn't work or it went rogue on you. The bigger picture for me is this. We are surrounding ourselves with critical gadgetry that we don't really own or control. We just sort of rent it for a while. And for the pleasure of that rent, it spies on us. And it sells our most intimate conversations and secrets to the highest bidder, whether that be Beijing or the FBI. So that's my takeaway. And by the way, that is why I'm going to buy like a 1984 Buick LeSabre, big as a boat. But nobody's going to hack that big old hunk of metal. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? 
Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Whether you are looking for a space to host an intimate gathering or a major celebration, the Westmoreland Museum of American Art offers an artful venue for creating a truly amazing and unforgettable event experience. Don't miss the Bridal and Event Showcase at the museum this Sunday, May 21st from 6 to 9 p.m. Meet a variety of vendors, including florists, caterers, bakeries, jewelers, entertainers, and more. To register for this free event, visit thewestmoreland.org.